0: Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. church. So good to see you. Good morning church. So good to see you. Hey guys, what's up? What's up? So great to see you. Wow. Really excited about all God has done for us last year. Really excited about what God wants to do this year in 2024. We serve a God that um, is working all the time he's doing things in a way that in the natural when we see them we go well this must mean what God is doing but how many know that God likes to do things in a upside down world that shock all of us and he gets all the glory for it amen And I think that's what we experienced last year. That's what we experienced with the debt. Really excited to celebrate on the 28th and uh, just to come and us be together as a family. It's going to be a great celebration, um, service and time afterwards. But I'm looking forward to 2024. And we're beginning this year. um, First off, how many are grateful for Pastor Mark, his message last week? Very powerful. Very powerful. So grateful God's brought great gifted people that are anointed by him to be here with us. But uh, as we look to this next year, before we get into the year, we want to talk about what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to be built in the way that God would build us? And we, we titled this, uh, this series, Built for This and Built for What? And so over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about what God built us for as a church. What was His design? What was His purpose? What, is, what, what does this mean to be a part of a church? And what God, what is he calling us as a local church? People that God has set together in a family to accomplish a purpose. What does it mean? to fulfill that purpose that God's called us as a church to fulfill. And because we're built for this, we're built for, for impact. We're built to grow in our belief of him and bring others to that belief. We're, we're built to belong and be a part of a family. We're built to become everything that God's called us to become. And we were, we're also built to to build the kingdom of God and transform the world around us. And this is what we're gonna be looking at. How are we gonna be doing that this year? We're really excited about some things we're gonna be doing which I'll tell you more about next week. But before we got into a lot of those functions as a church, I really felt from the Lord, the desire of his heart is just to remind us of what it means to be a church. And this is a series, yes, about us as a local church, but particularly about what it means to be of a church family. What are the implications to be in a church family, you and I, together? What does that mean? What has God laid out in His Word? What, how does that manifest itself in our lives as we look to the Scriptures about what it means to be a part of His church? But before we get in and begin to looking into our direction according to the Scriptures and according to all the incredible examples we have in the New Testament, that the the, the books of the Bible outside of of the Gospels and and Revelation, which Revelation was written to seven churches, the Apostle Paul wrote letters to churches And he gave instructions on how how they participate in worship and what their mission and purpose are supposed to be. We also have the words of Jesus. We also have the seven churches in the book of Revelation that that God speaks to. And so what can we learn from them and what it means to be a church? But today, I really believe that God has spoken to me about sharing something with you regarding Something that on the surface seems pretty basic. Pretty, maybe to you it's, you're like, oh, okay, like this, this that's, that's a neat topic, but I already get that. But today I want to talk to you about understanding God's relationship through Christ to us as a church. What does that mean? That God's relationship to us through Christ as a local church. And so I begin by just looking and making the statement today that again might seem very basic to you. But here's what we're going to look at today is that Jesus is the Lord and head of the church. Including our local church. And so we we have in scriptures, you have a, what you have a global church, all of those who, who belong to the body of Christ, which we're going to look at in a moment, they belong. So if they put their faith and trust in Christ, they're a part of his global church. But how God designed it according to the scriptures, that those who belong to the global church, God sets in local churches, Sets them in local churches to use their giftings, to love one another, to have spiritual um, influence and, and also to have spiritual authority in their life, to come together and, and study the word of God together and to be in a local church, which is a, it's a covering for our lives, for our families. It's a place God sets us in. God never intended for someone to be a part of the church and not be a part of a local church. So God calls us and sets us in local churches. And so I want to just reiterate, before we look at our function over the next several weeks and, and hear all the exciting stuff that God, uh, I believe God is doing and we're going to be doing this year, I want to look at what does it look like to get down to the, to, to the understanding about our church that Jesus is the Lord and the head of faith church. He is the senior pastor of faith church. Any other position from our elders to our pastors to ministry leaders, we are what's called, according to the Bible, the, the apostle Peter, we're called under shepherds. In other words, we're not, we're not the big guy. We're not the boss. We are under, under. I say under. That we are under the chief shepherd who is Christ Jesus. That means how we function as a church is not about the titled lead pastor or the elders or the other pastors. How we make decisions is based off of what the chief shepherd wants for his church and I'm so thankful that he is faithful to provide for us the, the understanding of that and the articulation of that and the scriptures which are his actual words to us on how to live our lives and how to function as a church. So we begin today by looking at Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna look at a lot of scripture today. I hope you're okay with the Bible because we're gonna look at it today. And we're just going to allow the word to speak to us in understanding that Jesus is the Lord and head of our church. Ephesians 1, starting verse 17 through 23. The Lord, excuse me, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, this is Paul writing to a local church, just like us, set in a region for a purpose to carry out in that region. May you, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, may he give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So there is this established work of Christ has been done. He has been exalted. He's been given all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and every name, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, not only now, on this earth today, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things, everybody say all things. things. So he placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. So this statement of Christ being the head of his church may may feel kind of unremarkable to a passive observer in, in this current era. But the fight for the supremacy of his headship within the church has actually over church history has been one of violence and ongoing struggle throughout history. I love church history. I love learning from from those who have gone before us. I love understanding where their conflicts happened. And it's interesting, those same conflicts still happen today. But fortunately, physical violence related to this matter, it's rare now. However, though, Devoted Christians continue to engage in passionate struggle of, of morals and intellect to establish Christ's sovereignty over the church. One of the main early catalysts, his name was Jan Hus, He, he wrote a book. He was a Protestant reformer. And the, and the book was simply called The Church or or De Ecclesia, the church. But it was most his most profound points was in chapter four, where he writes that the title of the chapter is this simple statement, and it was crazy and controversial. Christ, the only head of the church. For Christ alone is the head of the of the church. And we would say, for Christ alone is the head of faith church. So what he was doing at the time, he was pointing out that most church leaders in his time, in his era, actually despised this reality of the lordship and supremacy of Christ Jesus over the church. Why? Because they wanted to do things their way in a manner that didn't Look to the scriptures on how to do them. Huss says in the book, to such a low pitch is the clergy come that they hate those who preach often and call Jesus Christ Lord. So due to his conviction, due to his understanding of the supremacy of Christ over the church. He's the ruler. The scriptures lay out how we are to have church, lead church, how everything is structured within church. He was deemed a heretic. He was sentenced to death by burning at the stake in 1415. All for this statement that Christ is the only head of the church. In the 1600s, very fascinating. If you're interested in church history, you should, you should look up this, uh, this leader, a man named Richard Cameron. He was led by a group of Presbyterians and they were called the Covenators. Kind of sounds like an old Western gang. We're the Covenators. But they were different. And they were in Scotland. And so in Scotland, there was this declaration or idea that the king of Scotland, the king was the head of the church. And so Richard decided that's actually not true according to the scriptures. And so he began declaring that the king is not the head of the church, but Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church. And so what happened? Because these pastors, as they looked to the scriptures, They didn't look to their ideas, they didn't look to their groups, they didn't look to their passions, they looked to the scriptures and said, nope, the scripture is clear, Jesus is the head of our church. And so because of that, they lost their churches, they had to go out into the the hills of Scotland and have church out there in some tucked away little moor or little barn, and they were still preaching, they were still faithful, but they lost their churches— because the king actually owned their churches. Now, as a result of them saying this clear, biblically concise statement that Jesus is the head of the church, not the king, in one region alone, over 400 of them lost their lives. They were put to death. You see, this this battle over the kingship or the the leader of or the head of the church has always existed since the birth of the church. For Richard Cameron, one day he received a, a package and he was the leader of the, of the co- covenators and he received a package as he opened it, there were two severed hands and he quickly realized they were the hands of his son. Shortly following after that, he received a box and in it was the head of his son. Because his conviction that Jesus should be the one that leads the church and pastors are the ones who are to follow Jesus and his word. There's always been a battle within the church about the headship of Christ. Yes, over the universal church. Yes, we have that. That's everybody. But more particularly in the local churches and denominations. Most would never say, though, that Christ is not the head of the church. We wouldn't say that. But many would act as though he is not. Not by fixing their purpose and focus on something other than his will and his biblically articulated purpose for the local church. And so a church that maybe doesn't have Christ as the head is a church that emphasizes and focuses Everything about who they are, it's shaped by something that's not the focus and emphasis of God's Word from the New Testament. Many examples we have from the Bible on how local churches function. M- many, many examples of what it means to be a part of a local church. What, is, what does it mean? Uh, what are the responsibilities of a local church to the community? What is God? How does God want to take care of the the flock and his pasture within a local church? And so I don't believe anyone who's following Jesus would deny that he is the head of, of their life or their church. But I think many times we stop short at the implications of what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be the head of our church? What does that mean? So it could look like a church that removes his word or the context of his word from its rightful place in order to, in order to, to appease man or in order to fulfill a, a, a personal agenda. But anytime God's word is silenced or God's word is not preached in its contextual reality, anytime that happens within a local church, that church or leader of that church is silencing Jesus' headship and rule over that church. There are many ways that, that local churches can attack the headship of Christ. For us, we're going to continue to strive and grow and Allowing Jesus to be the head of our church, leading us as a, as a people towards his destiny and purpose. And this is what I love about that reality. Anytime you let Jesus be fully in charge, you begin to see the power of Jesus moving in and through your life in a special way. So most of us don't, don't have in our own lives, me, I'm speaking included don't have this manifestation of the supernatural reality of of a savior and, and a God and a Holy Spirit in us because we haven't, we're still growing and we haven't fully allowed Jesus to be the head of our lives. Now, we serve a God who's full of grace and where we lack the ability to submit, we say, Lord, help me submit and he helps us. But it's a journey of our lives and it's also a journey of a local church. It's something that God graciously leads us in. So, I I believe that there are people who are sitting in churches for whom Christ is the Lord and head of their life. But Christ is not leading and ruling that church that they're sitting in as he would desire to do. And that happens mainly because of leaders. Leaders of the church that want to do things their way, not his way. Leaders who do ministry by the playbook of the loudest voices. Or leaders who put their will and their passion between Christ and his church. And so these things of like, what, is, what does the Bible say are real questions that we are to ask ourselves and then we are to come into alignment with it. So as we step into 2024, before we talk about all the great fun stuff we're going to do, we first need to understand this is why we're doing them. Because Jesus is our leader. He calls the shots. We follow And then we get to somehow participate in his glory and what he does. And we get to be co-workers with him in his kingdom. Seeing him move and manifest in our life in wild ways. But here's the deal. When he's your leader, no man gets the glory. Jesus gets the glory. The apostle Paul repeatedly tells pastors... He writes to to Timothy and Titus who were local pastors. He says, hey, listen, you need to teach sound doctrine to the people. Why? Because there's no substitute for it. And sound doctrine always goes back to the message of the Savior, Jesus Christ, is the head of the local church. And so, the reality of this is that leaders, pastors of churches, are not to preach opinions as they are God's truth. You can present, my thought about this is this, but where the Bible shouts, pastors should shout. Where the Bible whispers, pastors should whisper. Pastors aren't to push an agenda that is outside of Christ's purpose for the local church. They must lay down the desire to entertain or play with people's emotions and build earthly kingdoms. Submitted pastors to Jesus must embrace their role as God's spokesperson with the desire to please an audience of one who is Jesus Christ. So for Healthy pastors and churches that, are, that have Jesus at their head, there's an understanding. There's, a, there's an understanding that decisions are made because of the Scriptures. That There's decisions that are made and, and why we do what we do is because we see them in Scripture and we, we want to be obedient to that. So the decisions are made based off of scriptures and what is taught from the New Testament, what is taught from the letters to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians. And we go, okay, we want, we want to do that. And we go, that's going to be hard. And how do we do that? Because you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life, in your personal life. When you come to the scriptures and you go, I, how do we do that? That's where the Holy Spirit then comes in and It gives you the power and the ability to do that which feels impossible to do. Whether it's your personal life or your local church life. So James chapter 3, he's writing a church, a local church as an overseer. And he puts a great weight on what is spoken at the church. He says, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So for a church that has a pastor who's teaching or other pastors who are teaching, we, we don't come to God's precious people with some really great ideas. We come with... The great word of God. And we present it in a way that it says and is received and applied in the manner in which it was written. A pastor tells, or sorry, Paul tells a pastor in the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he says, Be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So I want you to notice something. Paul tells tells him, Hey, Pate, Pastors in Ephesus, pay careful attention first to yourself. First, make sure yourself is in order. First, make sure yourself sees the Scriptures appropriately. But pay attention to yourself and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Not He doesn't say to leverage for your own self— to make your to build your ego to make you feel special he says no no to care for the church of god which he obtained with his own blood in other words you didn't spill one drop of blood for those people so stop acting like it you don't own those people you have one responsibility Be the spokesperson for my word to them and care for them. And make decisions based off of what you find in my word. So these are, a lot of times where a breakdown comes in, and we're gonna be looking at just a couple, just for a moment, is where a teacher of the word or a pastor Shouts what the Bible whispers and whispers what the Bible shouts. And the will of Christ for our local church is then replaced by something else. And when that happens, when things get out of priority, what happens then is it is a it's a church then that is not under the headship of Christ because headship looks like something. Paul writes to the church in Colossae about what it looks like when people are teaching outside of the headship of Christ. So this is, this is what he says. He's like, this is what it looks like when people aren't under the headship of Christ. He writes this, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. So there's, there's, this, there's this imagination factor that's going on. And they got details and they're telling, oh, the angels and the, this, and the, I went to the, I, you, I know there was the third heaven. I went to the 12th one, by golly. And I know that you, Moses is, you know, buried. I know where Moses is buried now. And I know where the Garden of Eden is. God showed me and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, hey, listen, listen, people who are just coming up with these things that the scripture isn't super clear about, they are puffed up with idle notions by their, look, unspiritual mind. We in our, in our Western American church world, people who have all these incredible ideas and this and that and they know all that, we go, ooh, they're so spiritual. Paul says, they are unspiritual. Amen? Amen. Why? Why are they unspiritual? Verse 19, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported, held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So Paul, again, reemphasizes that we are part of a body, that Jesus is the leader. And we must be careful. We must be humble. Where we are wrong, we must say, I'm wrong. Where we missed it, we must say, I missed it, because we're submitted to Christ. And I think as we live in a world that promotes very much so individualism and where everyone can possess their own truth and their own purpose of church, I think that way of thinking has deeply impacted the American church. And I pray that God, over the next several years, begins to move, and begins to have his way, that we would see God shine in his glory through the local church, and that he would get all the glory, not just through ours, but every local church, in our city, in our state. In our nation, I believe that God can do something, that that he begins to work in the local church. Because this is what happens. God always, before he moves in revival, he always starts in the local church by purifying it. So if it doesn't work at home, we don't export it. So he first gets things in order at home. We first put him as the ruler of our church and our house. We first come under submission to Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd. We first go to the scriptures and say, what is the purpose of us as a gathering, us, of us coming together? How does that look like in our daily lives? And how is it that we love one another and care for one another? And, and how, how does this tell a testimony to the world who's dying and going to hell? And how do we reach them? God says, I first want to reach you and bring purity to the purpose of why I created you. And so the Lord calls us as churches, local churches, not just individuals, local churches, to have a nature about us. The Apostle Paul wrote to those in Philippi. He's not writing to random Christians. He's not saying, hey, why don't you guys pass this around at your next, you know, meeting somewhere at your Rotary Club. That's not what he's doing. He's writing a letter to a church that he planted to give instructions about the nature of them as a body. So often we come to the scriptures and it's all about individuals, me, me. It's actually so much more than that. It's about us, it's about family. What does it mean to be a part of a local church? And we'll look further into that in the series. But this is what Paul says. First, he clarifies who's the leader of the church. God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the father he clarifies it then he goes on to talk about that we are the nature of who we are to be is to take on the nature of christ because he is the head because he is the the leader of our personal lives and the and the life of the church because of that we're to take on his nature and we'll talk more about how that manifests itself in our life Then Ephesians 5, which is a verse that is used often at weddings. I use it. But there's a bigger picture going on here. It's actually not just about marriage. It's about Jesus and his relation to the church. Ephesians 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body. And in himself, its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Now look, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives as the head of your your family, your wife. As Christ loved the church. So this gives now some of his love towards us as the church who who gave himself up for her. So Christ is the head of the church and how he interacts. He gave himself up for us that he might sanctify us. His bride, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so how is it that we, we are washed by, by Jesus as our head? We, we study the word. We, the word is preached. The word is presented in a way that knows there is a greater strictness to the person who's teaching this. They don't have a latitude of their imagination. They are to teach it. Why? Because that's how the body is washed. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she, the church, us, might be holy without blemish. Though community is a part of a local church and we want to grow in our community with one another, First here, then to the community. To, have, to build bridges to our community that we can go to them and they can come to us for the gospel. But this is about building something that's a family. In Colossians chapter 2, this is another, another letter to another church. And he's writing this and he says, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ so there were some understandings hey make sure you're not asking the world how you should do church hey make sure You're not asking the culture how church should function. Make sure you're not not taken captive by a philosophy that on the surface says, hey, we're being loving, but actually underneath it, you're being anti-biblical. So be careful. Be careful that you don't take your entrepreneurial drive of business and to build something and then bring it to the church for the purpose of glorifying your name. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to grow. There's nothing wrong with wanting to reach more people. That's the heart of Christ. He said, go into the world and make disciples. We have, we have a command to reach the people around us and to share our faith with others, but it's the motive We do what we do because Christ is our head. We do what we do because Christ is our leader. And he goes on to say, For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So this brings me to the last thing today. And then we're going to close in communion, which I believe is appropriate we're going to take communion through the every Sunday through January, but there's always a temptation to leverage whether we're a part of this church or have a leadership role in the church. There's always a temptation. to leverage the church to meet our needs. There's always the church to, for the primary goal and role of the church to become something that the Scriptures say it's not to be. So the primary goal of our church is not to grow. There's nothing wrong with growth. But if the primary goal is growth, then we our team implements things that's not necessarily about bringing glory to Christ. It's about getting butts in the seats. There's nothing wrong with growth. But your motive is everything. The point of us as a church is not all these these things, the motivation, it's not all these other things. We need this, we need that. No. The point of us gathering, friends, our family right here, faith church together. We come, we worship, we give, we serve is for us. We gather that our savior, our redeemer, our lead shepherd, the one who is our head would be worshiped by our gathering, will be glorified by who we are. And so if the the purpose of, of our church can't be clearly identified they worship Jesus and follow His Word, and they bring glory and honor to the head and leader of their church, Jesus. If that's somehow, you gotta, you got to sort through all, the, all the, the distractions in order to find that, we are not doing what we're, what we're supposed to be doing. Everything that we are is because of Jesus. And our primary focus and our goal is something, if it's something other than first to worship and bring glory to Christ, that's what's called idolatry. If we're known for something that is outside of bringing glory to Christ, or manifesting the spirit of Christ, that's idolatry. So when we gather, listen, this is a a battle for me as as your pastor. The desire to to grow, the desire to, we wanna reach more people, that's not my role. My role is to worship Jesus. My role is to come here with you and bring glory and honor to our King and our Savior, Jesus. And I confess there have been times and moments where it was about something other than that. It was about growth or it was about pleasing people. It was about looking like we're successful. It's about all that is hay and stubble and will be burnt up. What matters is the purity. I'm here, Jesus, to worship you. By our actions, by our words, by our decisions. When we gather our church, friends, that was purchased by the blood of Jesus, your church, us, faith church that God has set you in, It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about you being comfortable. It's not about the music. It's not about that stuff. It's about we have gathered to worship God and bring glory to Jesus Christ through our gathering, through our submission to his word, by our love for one another, that we see each other as family, not as a transactional. We see each other as family, differently than if we see each other at Costco. No, we come to church to worship together, to bring glory to Christ. We come together to glorify his name, to bring glory to Jesus Christ, our source, our bread of life. He's our vine. He's our provider. He's our healer. He's our living water. And if we drink of him, we'll never be thirsty again. He's our anointer. He's our head. He's our leader. He's our king. That's who he is. The purpose of our church and focus of our church is so much more than what I've made it. It's so much more maybe than what you've made it. And we begin this year laying our preferences aside, laying our worldly offense and bitterness aside and we come together as Hebrews writes don't forsake the gathering of believers in your church and we come to worship Jesus that's why we do what we do that's why, over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about why we're going to be doing what we're doing. Why we're going to be reaching in a fresh new way to the loss in our community. Why we're going to change the way we view church from a transactional membership to a family Why we are going to become everything that God's called us to become and be shaped and formed into the image of Christ, dying to ourselves. And why we're going to see God build the kingdom through our church and transform the world around us. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about us bringing glory and honor to Him. And that can be applied to our individual personal lives. And it's going to be a blast because we're going to, we're going to feel the joy of what Christ feels when we align with Him. We're going to feel the, the calling of God to take some risk because we're aligning with Him. We're going to experience His manifest presence in our midst because we didn't come here for a preference of, of worship or teaching or communication. Or, no, we came to worship Jesus. And so we're coming in together as a family, abandoning our fleshly desires to worship a Jesus who has died for us, laid his life down for us, and knit us together in a family called Faith Church. And we're going to release the any offenses that we picked up over the years. And we're gonna we're gonna allow him to heal us and we're gonna make decisions based off the word of God, not based off of a an old tradition that we used to have or an old thought or something we read. We're going to come and worship Jesus because his word calls us to and we're going to submit ourselves underneath the hand of Jesus and then we're going to see God do amazing things through us and I'm believing that you would do this with me that together no more divisions no more gossip, no more complaining, no more murmuring It would be about Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. We appropriately conclude today's service by taking communion together. And if you were able to get a communion cup, that's great. If not, we do have some up front. I believe there's some around in the back as well. So you can make your way to, to grab those. I love that this communion is what's called the Lord's table. In other words, um, He sits at the head of the table. And we gather around His table because of who He is. And we unite. And we submit to Jesus. In our hands, we hold a cracker and, and juice, and the cracker represents his body that was punished. The suffering that I deserve, punishment I deserve, was upon his body. That in his body, he bore the wrath that I deserved. He did it for us, but it's also something that we can be healed. Scripture says, by his stripes, we are healed, and this can be be applied to spiritually and physically, but in this moment, I want to apply this to relationally. We come to the Lord's table to heal relationships within the body of Christ, his children, his family. Maybe some of you have been hurt by church. The Lord wants to heal you. Maybe some of you have been disappointed by a leader. He wants to heal you. Maybe some of you have picked up offense and bitterness And you don't even know why he wants to heal you. Because it's the unity of the body that is the testimony to the world that Jesus is who he says he is. Maybe it's reconciliation with a spouse, with a friend. Maybe that person is in tears, but this is what I know about Jesus. He wants unity, and he wants the main thing to be the main thing, to be the main thing, because he's our main thing. Jesus is our main thing. And so, Lord, we come to your table this morning, and we prepare our hearts to take But Lord, right now, Holy Spirit, may you just show us if there's any area in our lives of offense, any area of our life that we are holding unforgiveness, any area of our life that we have picked up a spirit of strife. Lord, if we have spoken ill of people, or the church or someone in the church to other people and sinned against them by gossip Lord if we have backed off out of pride Lord we want to come into this new year a church that is healed by your body A church that is restored by your body. That our hearts and our minds. So Holy Spirit, we confess to you all those sins and things. And we take and we eat of your body to bring us unity and to be reconciled together with Christ. Let's take and eat. Jesus, we hold in our cup this juice. It represents your blood. And Lord, we recognize the closer we come to you as a church, the closer we come together, the closer we get. But Lord, we stand at the foot of your cross, recognizing it is not of effort, not of position. We stand equally. And we thank you, Lord, that this cup represents that you took us from a kingdom of darkness and set us into a kingdom of your tremendous light. That we are forgiven from all sin. Past, present, future. The penalty and the price for sin has been paid. Paid in full. You're seated. And so, Lord, we drink today. And Lord, as we do, may you unite our hearts as we fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, let's drink together. Lord, we, uh, we conclude today's service just acknowledging that we want to make you the center of our lives. And we want to to make you the head. No, you're already the head. We want to affirm that you are the head of our church. So give us the grace as individuals and us corporately to step into this new year unified in mind and heart and purpose. God bless your people today and strengthen them. May we leave here encouraged. May we leave here challenged, may we leave here with a great expectation for what is to come. Jesus, you are our leader. And we thank you for leading us well. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. God bless you, friends. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.